Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Shit Show. Putin. Putin, Putin, Vladdy Putz. Kia ora everybody and welcome to a special, an emergency, a something. I don't like the phrase emergency, special. Special, a special edition of the Shit Show podcast. Now, something huge is happening in the world at the moment and we have made it our jobs in the past to describe and explain big world events in words we can all understand. And that is what Squish and I are going to endeavour to do today with the Russia and Ukraine crisis or war or invasion or whatever you're choosing to call it. Um... We've just got together and we've thought of just the basic questions that you might all be wondering and we're going to try and answer them for you. Squish, how you doing over there? I'm a little bit crook, a little bit under the weather, but um, I don't want to say I'll soldier through because it's probably not the right... Oh my God. ...the right phrase, but I'll battle on. I mean, I'll... Um, See, no. <laughs> you're going to get a very standard shit show episode, like with all our, with all our stupid jokes, but we are going to be talking about something like much more important than um, Nick's usual animal stories. So Nick, I think I first, I I don't want to do a whole heap of disclaimers because people know that we come at everything from a good place with a good heart, just wanting to make people understand. They also know we're not experts. We also know that this, when we're saying Russia versus Ukraine, we know that that's just not the case. It's not all the Russian people agreeing with what Vladimir Putin is doing. And it's not like the people on the ground even have a fucking say in what's going on. So um, I don't want this to at all ever sound like we're lumping every single Russian person into what Putin's doing. Also, just quickly, I have been seeing huge um, protests happening in Russia at the moment about the invasion into Ukraine. And like at the time of recording, about 3,000 people have actually been detained in anti-war protests in Russia. So we know that there are feet on the ground in Russia that don't agree with what's happening right now. But um, for ease of explaining it to you all, we will often be saying Russia versus Ukraine. Um, we, d- we know that. Not all Russians. <laughs> now, Nick, I think we should start off with what's actually happening and who the main players are in what we're seeing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So in the sort of the most explained like on five version of the conflict so far, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin is obsessed with the old Soviet Union and and doesn't really like how close Ukraine is getting to the West. Um, not physically, obviously, in terms of political, you know, NATO and all that sort of carry on. All of which I'm going to go into in a bit more detail about the history, why Putin is so obsessed with invading Ukraine, what NATO actually is. Uh, don't worry, in a few minutes, I'll get into that. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, 
So to counter all that, Putin aims to replace the government led by Vladimir Zelensky, who I'll talk a little bit about in a second, with a more pro-Putin regime. So in the weeks leading up to the invasion, Russia had amassed troops on uh, three sides of Ukraine, obviously gearing up for an invasion. Throughout this whole time, the US were publicizing all of Putin's plans, so it was no surprise really when Putin did exactly what we were told was going to happen, um, invading Ukraine. So they started with a pro-Russian region in eastern Ukraine, then moved on to a full invasion on all sides, including the capital of Kiev. It's funny that you call him Putin. Putin, Putin, Vladiputz. So at the time of recording, it's been quite scary to watch all of this sort of unfold in real time. Something that's really interesting about it all, which we again we'll get into later, is that this feels like the first war or conflict really that Gen Z in particular are really taking notice of online and it's turned into like a war of memes and shit posting and all the stuff that I think is actually quite unhelpful. It's not the first war we've lived through as Gen Z. I mean, there's been multiple things happening in the Middle East, like there's been Afghanistan and and Iraq, and just it feels like this is the first one, though, that Gen Z have either related to a bit more because it has to do with the West a lot, or maybe TikTok was a bit more immersed in our culture, and that's why young people have decided to make that the breeding ground for a lot of fake news. Again, I'll get to that later, but back to what we were talking about next. So we've got, obviously, the Russian leader, Vladimir Putin, who is... Vladimir Putin, who we all know is like this... What is he, a dictator? Well, I mean, he's the president, but he's the baddie in this situation, for sure. Yeah. And, yeah, Putin uh, was on really good terms with Trump, and that's actually interesting because now that Biden is in power in the US, Putin, I think, feels a little bit less safe in his um, position as the president of Russia. However, not that unsafe, obviously, because he's choosing to invade another country. Anyway, Nick, who is the Ukrainian president, though, that I keep hearing about? Yeah, so we have heard a lot about the Ukrainian president, about how he is holding it down in the capital and being a patriotic icon for a lot of Ukrainians. But just a couple of years ago, President Vladimir Zelensky was hosting comedy shows and playing the president in a popular Ukrainian TV show. Um, Zelensky won the 2019 election in a landslide, somewhat controversially, considering his lack of political experience and his alleged backing by one of the richest men in Ukraine. Since then, however, uh, experts have praised Zelensky, with one saying... Though many commentators labelled Zelensky a Ukrainian Donald Trump because of his lack of political experience and background in entertainment, Zelensky is in fact an adept political actor. This is um, exactly what I was going to say because I remember covering this just really lightly on Shit You Should Care About when it happened and I thought like, holy shit, a comedian or like a popular person in the media or a sort of celebrity has just won the election and I just thought this is Donald Trump all over again and in my head those two were similar and it's and it's interesting now to see that like a popular figure can win and actually do something good we just have massive we just have trust issues massive ones because of Donald Trump yeah this guy's actually a legend he certainly isn't backing down uh He's had heaps of offers of evacuation. He's turned them all down, um, with him reportedly saying at one point, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. Um, He's also been seen in videos drinking coffee with soldiers fighting in Kiev. He's posted numerous selfie videos on his Twitter account uh, with his key members of government saying that they are all still in Kiev and they won't be leaving. This makes me so sad and 
proud and like I don't really know how to feel but like the fact that most world leaders and I don't think this is an unfair thing to say is most world leaders would be taking the out getting safe I mean remember when Donald Trump went into a bunker during Black Lives Matter yeah yeah exactly I was gonna say you I can't imagine Boris Johnson or Donald Trump or even really Joe Biden staying in the White House or Downing Street if their capital city was being invaded like it is at the moment. Absolutely not. And it makes, I have so much respect for him and I'm going to read a beautiful speech that I think is going to go down in history um, of his very soon. But Nick, um, while we're talking about Zelensky and Donald Trump, I, I, he had something to do with the impeachment trial of Donald Trump? He absolutely did. Um, so on July 18th in 2019, the Trump administration withheld $250 million of military aid to Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky was asking to buy anti-tank missiles for defense purposes, like aka this exact situation. Um, seven days later, Trump held a phone call with President Zelensky and asked him to investigate former Vice President and now President Joe Biden and his son Hunter. Um, so I think we should all remember that. Um, this is the phone call that ultimately led to Donald Trump getting impeached for uh, misusing presidential powers. Yes, so for anyone that might not remember, I remember this impeachment because of the phrase quid pro quo. And so that's basically like, I'm only going to do this for you if you did the, if you do this for me. And a president shouldn't be sort of withholding military withholding money for military aid like Donald Trump did to Ukraine um, in a quid pro quo. Basically, Trump was like, "If I'm not going to give you money for military aid unless you look into Joe Biden and his son Hunter. It's just, obviously, he got impeached for that. It's not all good. Yeah, especially when it's your political rival that you're trying to go after. That's definitely not all good. I really want to go back to what you were saying about Putin. I mean, now we've met Putin, we've met Zelensky, we see Donald Trump and how him and how his leaving of the White House and Biden's takeover has sort of started leading to this. But I think a huge question that a lot of people have, and like rightly so, is like, why is this all happening and why is it happening now? So in a really easy way, and the long story short, is that Putin wants back the power that he felt like the Soviet Union once had. He wants the influence, he wants the land, he's very power hungry. Nick, would you agree with that statement? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like We've talked in the past about how um, Putin basically had a massive wide on for the Soviet Union and that how he wants to restore it to its former glory. Mm. Um, you can see see what's happening in Belarus, a former Soviet state, and now obviously what's happening in Ukraine as well. I know. So let's, um, I did the long story short just then. I'm going to actually do the long story long because we know that context is important and why the fuck are we recording a podcast about this without actually giving you some context? So let's start with NATO. After the Soviet Union collapsed, NATO, which stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and if that still doesn't mean shit to you, as a, like I studied international relations, so that may, means something to me, but I know for a lot of people it's like, yeah, okay, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, fine, but what is that? So it's a group of member countries who come together to guarantee the freedom and security of the members through like political and military means. So you're all part of this one big group and basically you're going to keep each other safe. Now, politically, this means that if you're a member 
if you're a member country in NATO, you will promote democratic values and enable members to consult and like cooperate on like security related issues and solve problems, prevent conflict, but like all with this understanding of democratic values, which is quite important as Russia is not exactly very democratic and we would argue is quite scared of democracy, Nick, could you say? Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. We've seen in the past yeah. that Vladimir Putin doesn't really uh, abide by the democracy rules. No. Now, another thing about NATO to note is that they are also committed to like the peaceful resolution of disputes. However, if um, the member states can't can't resolve things uh, peacefully. It does mean that you can sort of draw on your pals, your mates, in, um, that are also a part of NATO and get some help. It's like a collective defense agreement. So, if Nick, if you're in NATO and I'm in NATO and someone's sort of starting to talk shit about you or blah, 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 and you can't solve it peacefully, you can be like, loose, can you come in and help me? Because yeah, we're exactly. both member states. So, there we have NATO. Anyway, when the Soviet Union collapsed in the early 90s, NATO expanded, like, eastward. So it expanded quite close to Russia. It eventually took over, uh, it eventually took in or accepted as member uh, countries most of the European nations that had been in, like, the communist sphere. So, like, the Baltic Republics of Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, they were all once parts of the Soviet Union, they joined NATO, so did Poland, Romania, and a bunch of others. So then we have this organization of member states, NATO, obviously. Like, fucking take a shot every time I say NATO. They had moved hundreds of miles closer to Moscow, closer to Russia. They started directly bordering Russia. And in 2008, and this is important... NATO stated that it planned to enroll Ukraine. Now, that's still seen as quite a far-off prospect, but the idea that there is some sort of some sort of want, some sort of need for Ukraine to be part of NATO, Russia and Putin fucking hates. Because, Nick, you know how close Ukraine is to Russia. Literally borders it. Yeah, borders it on three sides, essentially, with uh, Crimea being annexed. Exactly, and so Putin is terrified of the influence of the influence of the seriously like democratic and like quite powerful group of countries, like honestly edging onto his uh, I don't know perfect Russian communist worldview, whatever he thinks. So he's spent he's had twenty two years in power, old Putin, and he has spent that twenty two years trying to like rebuild Russia's military and like re-establish Russia's place in the world. Like, it's, I read in a New York Times article, like, their geopolitical clout because he doesn't want to be at the mercy of the West. He wants... He basically wishes the Soviet Union and almost believes that the Soviet Union shouldn't have or, like, didn't collapse. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
tap the banner to go to monday.com. He is also uh, sort of on that note. Uh, Putin has also insisted that Ukraine and Belarus are fundamentally parts of Russia, both culturally and historically. So he doesn't really see them as independent as they quite obviously are. Nick, you just spoke about how Putin, he, he has a lot of sway over Belarus. And Belarus's leadership is is a bit similar to Russia's. I mean, they can say that they hold democratic elections in Belarus, but they absolutely don't. We've got a wonderful episode of The Shit Show um, all about the Belarusian elections, but that's not what we're talking about today. So in 2014, um, these relations between NATO and Russia, or the East slash West, got quite a bit worse. And we've spoken about this, Nick, in the past. This is where basically protests in Ukraine forced out a president that was really, really closely allied with allied with Putin. And then because of that, Russia came in and invaded and annexed Crimea, which was which is part of Ukraine. Um, and then Nick, that's when we saw Russian separatists take hold of parts of the eastern regions of Ukraine in a war that honestly has been going on since 2014 and has killed more than 13,000 people. So there has been there has been small movements that uh, reassert what Putin has been trying to do for all these years, but we we are now seeing the real the real full shebang, like the full invasion, mm. the full um, Ukraine. You better not ever join NATO. And in fact, let me just sort of try and take you so that you don't. So Russia also presented NATO and the US in December with a set of written demands that it said that uh, Russia needed to ensure its security. And like the biggest thing that Russia said to the US was um, they needed a guarantee that Ukraine would never join NATO. So, I mean, you guys can see in, in the easiest terms, Putin believes that the Soviet Union breaking up was a mistake and because it broke up, um, the ideals that the Soviet Union and Russia once held or Russia still holds uh, are getting weaker and weaker and the West is encroaching on Russia and he is scared little boy so he is throwing the toys out of the cot. Nicholas, would you agree with my uh, my recollection of what's why this is happening? Absolutely. Was that straight off the top, was it, Luce? That was... Oh, look, I've just been sitting... Ever since I studied this shit at uni, I've just been waiting for the chance to get on this mic and talk about NATO. International Relations 101. International Relations 101. And speaking of international relations, can you tell me a bit about how the world is reacting? What are they doing? How are they feeling? Uh, yeah, sanctions. Uh, sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. This word is being thrown around a heap and it might not be immediately clear to everyone what a sanction actually is, so I'll cover that quickly. Please do. A sanction is basically like a restriction that one country puts on another to stop them behaving badly. So it's like uh, being grounded. Basically, yeah. Um, in this case, instead of Vladimir Putin having his phone taken off him, he's having his oh. and his rich friend's assets in pretty much every Western country being frozen. Uh, and instead of his parents turning the Wi-Fi off, the rest of the world has turned off the SWIFT financial system, which is like the infrastructure for moving money around the world. Okay, so countries are deciding to basically punish Putin 
with economic punishment, which is what we call sanctions, rather than maybe putting feet on the ground at this point, putting soldiers in there? Yeah, exactly. They're, they're hitting him where it where it hurts him, really. Like him and all of his mates right in their pockets because they're all like super mega rich. Um, mm. But yeah, no, you're dead right. Um, no boots on the ground per se, but a number of countries, including the US and the UK and Germany, uh, have supplied weapons, medical supplies and other military aid. Um, so yeah, as yet, no countries or, or NATO um, have agreed to supply soldiers or anything along those lines. Uh, countries bordering Ukraine as well have also taken on a lot of Ukrainian refugees, uh, with Poland and other neighbouring countries now harbouring over 150,000 Ukrainians, with many other countries waiving their visa restrictions for Ukrainians, essentially allowing free access, um, assuming that they can get there. Oh, I mean, it's um, it's fucking heartbreaking that people are having to become refugees of the country they live in and love. But it is nice to know that other countries, like one of the ways that they feel like they can help is by making it easier to move into their countries. I've been seeing a lot of, this is a total side note, but I've been seeing a lot of really sad, like either stories or videos um, about people going into bunkers and not being able to take their animals and then reading um, from some other countries with like bunkers or safe spaces in their countries bordering Ukraine saying like, we accept the animals here like bring them over here and i hope that that's not um misinformation because that makes me feel sad and then wholesome anyway one of the questions that i was thinking and that i got asked a few times actually was like will the u.s give them soldiers will any of the nato countries uh put soldiers on the ground in ukraine and because ukraine isn't actually part of nato which we saw they they want to be there have been plans that nothing's happened as of yet um there is no like solid requirement for these countries to um send soldiers over so i mean that's one answer as to why right now like every other element or every other way of helping has sort of been looked at rather than just you know fueling the feet on the ground that's pretty cruel at the a dispute over NATO and NATO can't even help. So I know, I know. It's it's very ironic and and uh, yeah, it's it's cruel. One of the really interesting parts of this whole situation, and maybe not for everyone, but certainly for me, because I'm obsessed with the media, um, is actually like not just the Russian sort of propaganda and the and the media in Russia versus the media in Ukraine and in the rest of the world, but also young people's use of social media. And me and Nick were actually speaking beforehand about how honestly we could do a whole episode about just like memes and shit posting and misinformation on social media by by Gen Z and not just Gen Z, but uh, I will talk a little bit about that. I do think for this episode, we're trying to do a bit more like actual serious context and I don't want to take away from that. So we might just touch on that lightly. But I did want to start off by talking about the Press Freedom Index. And when I was at uni, I studied media studies and international relations. And one of the things that fascinated me the most was press freedom. And you know, that is how free is the press or the media in your country versus in another country, to put it quite simply. So 
just for a little bit of context, Russia, uh, there's a press freedom index that you can all go and look at online, but Russia is right now 150 out of 180 countries in the world that are on the free, on the press freedom index, which means that they are like one of the worst countries for press freedom. That means they don't have very much or any really free and independent media. It's all state-run. It's very censored. It's very pro-Kremlin. For context, New Zealand is number eight on the Press Freedom Index. So we are free as, which is why me and Nick can jump on this podcast and safely say what we're saying. I don't know, Nick, if we'd be allowed into Russia. (laughs) I was going to say, Jacinda asked us to do this. Uh, she yeah, forced us. Yeah, she forced us. Um, for a little bit more context, Ukraine is number 97 on the index. So they're like moderately free. So we've got New Zealand at the very top, real free. Ukraine sort of in the middle, moderately free. And then Russia, who it's very state controlled. I thought a really good place to start with this conversation about the media industry was Zelensky's speech um, to the people of Russia where he spoke in Russian. Now, you will remember, because Nick just did a wonderful job explaining who Zelensky is, he is, of course, the president of Ukraine. Now, right after the invasion began, um, he did a speech that I honestly think is going to go down in history. It is moving, it is so telling of his character, and I just think it's wonderful. So like I said, he knew this wouldn't be broad broadcast on Russian TV to Russian people via the state channels. Um, I I think he did this knowing that he'd have to rely on social media, which is the beauty of social media for one, and um, relying on people like us or anyone else to report on the speech and get it to Russian people. In the speech, he spoke to ordinary Russians. He spoke to activists, journalists, musicians, actors, athletes, scientists, doctors, bloggers, stand-up comedians, TikTokers, and many others. And basically, he stressed their common humanity with Ukrainians. He said, We are divided by a shared border of more than 2,000 kilometers. Almost 200,000 of your troops and thousands of military vehicles are standing alongside it. Your leadership has ordered them to move forward onto another country's territory. They're telling you that this flame will liberate the people of Ukraine, but the Ukrainian people are free. They remember their past and are building their future. Ukraine on your TV news and the real Ukraine are two totally different countries. Ours is real. Lots of you have relatives in Ukraine. You studied in Ukraine universities. You have Ukrainian friends. You know our character, our principles, what matters to us. Listen to yourselves, to the voice of reason. The people of Ukraine want peace. We know for sure that we don't need war, neither cold nor hot nor hybrid. But if troops attack us and someone tries to take away our country, our freedom, our lives, the lives of our children, then we will defend ourselves. When you attack, you will see our faces, not our backs. War is a great misfortune and it comes at a great price. People lose their money, reputation, freedom, living standards, and most importantly, they lose their loved ones and themselves. Nothing's ever enough in a war, but there's more than enough pain, dirt, and death. Um, so essentially, Nick, have you watched this speech? No, I haven't seen that speech. It's 
honestly, it's wonderful. And just the fact that he's speaking in Russian to Russian people, like knowing that it's not going to be be broadcast and hoping that it cuts through enough that like people will just send it to their loved ones. It's basically a plea saying, your leader is doing this. I know it's not what you want, but you need to make a stand because it's happening. Like he, he knows that the Russian people are good people because he has heart and he has humanity. And Nick, so this speech came after, and you've already talked about this on a previous podcast, but um, what the Russian people, the people in Russia had been shown on their TVs, which had been, is still pure propaganda. Essentially where Vladimir Putin is trying to give reasoning or pretext to this invasion, trying to justify his invasion, right? In the Russian media, in the state-sponsored media, Russia have been saying that Zelensky's forces have been perpetrating a genocide against the residents of the uh, regions in eastern Ukraine, Nick, as we spoke about last week. Russian state media also said that uh, Ukraine was shelling critical Russian infrastructure. They were reporting on like reports of women and children who had to flee. Basically, state media uh, were just flipping it and making it seem like Ukraine had been doing all of these things to start this war or invite this war. Um, TV presenters actually hailed the historic day that would end the suffering for the residents of the eastern regions of Ukraine, basically being like Russia's coming in to save you or to be the peacekeepers. And to top it all off, on a weekly show called Moscow Kremlin Putin, uh, the president's spokesman Dmitry S. Peskov reinforced the notion that while war may be coming, it would not be Russia's choice. Let me remind you that Russia throughout all its history never attacked anyone, Mr. Peskov said. So, Nick, essentially what Russians and people living in Russia are seeing on their TVs right now is just a very, very warped reality and not what the rest of the world is seeing. And I think it's just a really important thing to consider. It all goes back to that free press index, doesn't it? Like, we can trust what we see in New Zealand's media, but what they see in the Russian media obviously isn't 100% the truth. And it's reflected in that index. That's why, yeah, that's why I think it's so great that there's people out there that measure all these countries against each other. Like we can see that we're number eight, so we can like quite confidently trust what a lot of our media is saying. And then, yeah, just to see that they are at what a hundred, a hundred and fifty, they are thirty off of the bottom um, country there. So. I would actually encourage a bunch of you to go and have a look at it. I find it fascinating. Um, I'm also a media nerd, so I understand why. And then, Nick, I did mention I was going to really briefly touch on the fact that we're also in a bit of a war of, like, memes and, and shitposting and social media has made this a really, really interesting thing to live through and report on, particularly for us, because we report on social media we use social media platforms and it's been a really interesting one to negotiate i think that first of all really quickly nick the ukrainian uh twitter account yeah you've covered the ukrainian twitter account a little bit in the past and they're really they're really self-aware aren't they no they are and um it's interesting because like one of the latest ones was a photo of Hitler sort of cradling Putin and they actually commented I can't remember if they commented or if someone else said that like this actually isn't new cartoons like this aren't new this was happening like back in World War II etc cartoons like this but social media has made it 
feel very new. And then, but the Ukrainian Twitter account has also been posting lots of like shit posting memes, which I mean, it's kind of, it's, they're right to do that. Like if that's how you got to get through it, do it, I reckon. And it's draw, it's drawing attention to the situation yes. as well, isn't it? Like we're talking about it now and it's just going about it in a different way. Absolutely. What is scary though is um, TikTok and just like the true, true disinformation that is being spread on there. I mean, we're not going to dive really deep into it, but I've I've seen some really like realistic like video game footage that people are saying is like fighting happening in Ukraine and and also like people that are creating like fake live streams where they're putting like dubbing over sirens and like airplane strikes and and like just creating fake live streams to either make money like get people to donate to places or just to get clout to get things to go viral um, there's also all these scammy sort of Instagram war pages that um, are run by like admins in the US and are just trying to get clout from sharing fake videos that like they obviously don't check their sources and I've seen some deep fakes mostly just funny deep fakes of like Putin but also if, if you can you can make a deep fake nick with apps in like two minutes like no wonder there's so much fake shit happening yeah in addition to like all the fake news and all that sort of stuff though you do have to be careful because there are apps actual videos of things you may not want to see on these platforms as well. Um, just a quick scroll through TikTok today, I've seen helicopters being shot down. And these are from reputable sources as well, like the New York Times has verified a couple of these videos. Um, so I would scroll with caution if you're not willing to see some of these pretty distressing images. Yeah, I think it's like you're either seeing real shit that's extremely jarring and confronting to be looking at through a little rectangle like in in the privileged comfort of your own home so you're either seeing real stuff that maybe you're not prepared for or you're seeing fake stuff that is then getting shared and shared and shared and creating just more distrust in like the media and and so it's it's a really you do have to um be quite smart in looking at your sources and and not like liking too much shit because if you like it and it's fake you're going to keep getting more fake stuff like we have very little control over these algorithms i have seen a lot of good i suppose stuff on social media like a lot of free information sharing a lot of people from armed forces from other countries you know sending messages to ukrainians people locked down in kiev about how guerrilla warfare actually works you know about taking down street signs so that the Russians get lost. You know, little real basic things like that. Um, a lot of stuff from uh, Ukrainian sources as well about how to make Molotov cocktails. Isn't that just freaky, though? It is, it is. But it's the reality that we're living in the moment, I suppose. Like, we have all this access to free information. I agree that, um, like, with everything to do with social media, there's, like, the really terrible side. And then, like you are saying right now, there is a really good and helpful side. And, and I would actually encourage you to, if you're trying to curate your feed so that you still find out things, but you don't see things that maybe you don't want to see or, or are false, there's a wonderful Twitter account called, I mean, it's Verified the Kiev Independent. Oh, thank you for mentioning. I was... I really wanted to mention that as well. The Kiev Independent is such a great follow. An independent English-speaking news source from Kiev itself. Fantastic to really keep up to date with what's going on. Such wonderful stuff. And also, like I would say, if you're on TikTok, instead of just accidentally being fed things that might be fake or might be real... um, 
go and follow Vice World News. They have got a wonderful reporter in Ukraine right now who is talking to people. He's verified. He's showing you what like hotel life is like. He's doing doing a wonderful job. And so if you're just um, really careful about how you curate your feed in the ways that you can, social media is amazing. But um, I'm also seeing a lot of like jokes being made on TikTok about it. And I'm just sort of like, we're not at the point where we should be, I mean, you should never be making jokes about war, but especially not right now when we don't even really know what we're in for. Yeah, they make me feel pretty ill, you know, when people's Same. lives, you know, are at stake and being lost here, like joking about it doesn't sit right with me. Absolutely not. Also, just one last thing that I wanted to say about social media and TikTok and things like this is I posted a really good thread uh, by Ben Collins. And it was about the misinformation on TikTok to do with, um, in particular, this conflict that we're seeing. And someone commented on it saying, why the fuck would young people go to TikTok to get their news? Or you can insert, go to Instagram to get their news or go to Twitter to get their news. And I actually commented back because young people are already on these platforms, right? They're not going there to get their news purely. You don't open up your TikTok for you page and think, I'm going to get my news from here. We like videos pop up on your for you page and they look like they're real and they look like the news. So it's the algorithms that it, it's not like young people are like, let me go to TikTok and get all my news. It's like, let me go to TikTok and use it how I usually would. And oh, I've just seen three things from what I think is Ukraine. But like, I'm a young person, I can't tell that it's not. And I didn't go out searching for it. Like, it's not like young people are being dumb and naive. It's the nature of these platforms that are serving it up to us. And it's almost like, if we don't, it's not our fault that we're seeing it, but it just means we need a bit more literacy around like how to corroborate media. And and I don't know how to even teach that or start that, but I just, like it's not young people's fault that the algorithm's serving them up fake shit. You must feel quite strongly about that because that's essentially your entire life talking to people like this. It's like, why would they go to Instagram for shit you should care about for news, you know? I know. And I'm like, I want there to be one safe space where people can trust me and know that I take this responsibility very seriously. And I always say, I cannot vouch for any other Instagram account, any other TikTok account, anyone else. Like, I am so cautious of what I read and see online. Like, you can come to me because you should trust me because I take it seriously. But again, I can only talk for me and for shit you should care about. It's just... I feel bad for the young people that get fed this shit and it's not even their fault. Anyway, that was a slight tangent, but any chance that I get to talk about the media and stand up for young people and their use of social media and that it doesn't come down to our use alone. It actually comes down to the people controlling, programming and working the algorithms and the regulations that they maybe choose to have or not have. And Nick, finally, um, what is the situation now as we're sort of recording? And and do you know what people are predicting might happen next? I know we obviously don't have the answers here at The Shit Show. So the situation as it stands at the moment, um, widespread fighting throughout Ukraine on those three uh, borders that I mentioned, down in Crimea, down on the eastern side as well, and up the top where Kiev is. Um, it's 6am at the moment as we record this in Ukraine um, and they've withstood a pretty heavy bombardment overnight from the Russians, uh, from the Russian army I should say. And the Ukrainians are fighting back pretty hard. Um, they're doing a 
fantastic stand-up, way better than I thought, actually, job of defending. Um, but the Russian army, at this point, uh, still isn't giving up. Yeah, and unfortunately, one of the last things I read before jumping on this podcast was that they, the Russian army is fucking huge and Russia has a huge budget that they spend on their military and their defense and um they haven't deployed all the all their means all the people all the anything that they have however I guess like honestly all we can do now is just Try and share and consume the best information we can. Try and understand the context of go- of what's going on. What I've been saying to my friends um, uh, when I often get asked like how I spend all my time sort of reading and understand, trying to understand all this stuff is like I think it's really, really, really important for us as humans and humanity to at least try to comprehend what's happening. Like, to at least try to understand. I know it's heavy. It is really, really hard. And put it down where you can because that is the fucked up privilege of this situation is that you can put your phone down when it gets too much. But that is why you should at least try to comprehend what's going on over there. Because if we don't and we turn our heads to it, then like we are not going to learn anything and I will have less and less hope for humanity. Yeah, put really well, Liz. Right, Nick. And obviously, we are going to keep everyone as updated as we can with the best sources that we have. Where can they find you for updates? I'm at The Shit Show, uh, The Shit Show on Instagram. Um, if you've got any questions about anything we've talked about on this podcast or anything you want us to cover on future podcasts, let me know. Slide into the DMs. Um, Luce, whereabouts are you? I am over on the other end of the morning newsletter, which I would really, really recommend right now because it lets me give more than a 10-slide Instagram sort of carousel. It lets me give a bit more context, a bit more humanity to um, the way that we speak about conflicts like this. And I'm also going to be giving you a little bit of pep talks. Like, it's a really fucking hard time at the moment and I want it to be a really nice space. So you should all come and sign up to that or you can also find us at shit you should care about um we will be really consciously um deciding what we share over there to keep that safe and really informed and you can just uh listen to us on the shit show we'll be back in your ears on friday you can also listen to culture vulture if you need a little bit of a break from the news um culture vulture drops every wednesday other than that nick it's been lovely speaking to you and i will see you later on 